0: What's up, friends? Welcome to another episode of the Applied Training Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Keeney. And in this episode, I sit down with my good friend and old co-worker, Andrew Barclay. Andrew is a retired Navy Petty Officer First Class, as well as a strength and conditioning coach over at JBLM. And I've had the pleasure of getting to work alongside with him for the last six months. And today we sit down and talk a lot about um, how his perspective of coaching has been influenced by his time in the military how he's able to been able to use that to his advantage Um, and we also talk a lot about personal training in general with his relationship with food and how he views training especially having competed in men's physique himself and also having um, a mother that owns her own personal training business that he helps run titled team stay fit Um, you can follow andrew media on all social medias instagram his name is Breaking Point underscore stay fit so if you guys want to hear or see more content of andrew feel free to follow him on social media um, otherwise i just invite you all to sit back relax and enjoy this conversation i had with my good friend andrew barclay i think it's uh gonna be good to hear someone else's perspective also in the military now that i've been working in the military for a while um, but interesting enough, interestingly enough what i enjoyed about when i first met you is that a lot of the things that you say, a lot of ideas that come out of your mouth are very calculated because you're a pretty quiet person. But then once you start to get comfortable and unravel, it's the floodgates gates are open. It's yeah. a lot more fun to talk. It's a lot easier to talk. So, Absolutely, yeah. um, I'm curious to hear your perspective and have you share some stories about you being in the Navy. You were in the Navy for six years.
1: Yes. Uh, well, four years yeah. active. I'm now okay. on my... Uh, coming up on my fourth-year
0: reserves. Yeah. Nice, man. Congrats. Thanks. Nice to tonight. that. Appreciate it. Uh, but I will... So I'll, I'll start out with just what I have here, and then, like I said, we'll just kind of riff off from there. But just basically, first off, we'll start with the Navy, describing your experience of your first two years in the Navy compared to your last two years, and basically just give me a, an idea of your perspective, the maturity level that you had going into the Navy to... Compared to your last two years, what was that like?
1: Okay, yeah. Uh, Well, my first (laughs) two years, um, I originally joined the Navy to pay for school. Uh, I got into Florida State, or sorry, uh, University of Northern Florida. And when I went and I talked to the financial aid, um, they told me I didn't qualify for any financial aid. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do. I needed to do something else, so I joined the Navy. Uh, that's what I knew.
0: And this is right after high school?
1: Yes, two years after high school. I just got my associates from a community college. Oh, okay. I was trying to go to the university, pursue my bachelors. Um, so I joined the Navy in order to pay for school. Um, I originally picked up a corpsman contract where I'd be working in the hospital or something like that. And then my recruiter kind of talked me into trying for special warfare. Took the test for it, picked it up. Um, so I went in as a special warfare candidate, uh, going for SWIC. Going into that type of program, like you've got to have a big why that's the why you're going into it. And I yeah. kind of just had my, well, it sounds cool. So <laughs> that was the extent, that was the extent of it. So, about the, uh, the first six months of my Navy career was in training, and then after that, uh, I got re-rated to Gunner's Mate, went to A school for that, and then went to C school as soon as I got to San Diego. So we're already a year and a half into my naval career at this point. Damn, Um, so you're
0: what, 21 now? 20?
1: No, I joined at 22. I'm now 23. Um, And yeah, I made it to my ship, the USS Higgins, uh, in 2015. Yeah, 2015 stayed there the rest of my active duty time until 2017, uh, had a deployment in the middle of it um, and I'd say those first two years, especially with it mostly being school, um, going through a program that sounded cool in the moment but ended up being something that I quit but <laughs> it took a hard hit mentally um, and then the rest of that two years was kind of just figuring out how to get past that and how to deal with the new situation of being on ship, since
0: that's not what I joined the Navy for. Yeah. So, this was after you dropped out of the special warfare? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, uh, I'd say the last two years, compared to the first two years, was more of definitely less drinking and <laughs> uh, trying to drown sorrows and more of, yeah. you know, figuring out like what's next. Sure. For sure.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, even just being in the military or working with the military for the last 10 months, is it does seem to be that way, unfortunately, for the majority of soldiers, not all of them, but that they live for the weekend, right? And then that's why they want to drink all weekend long, and then they come back and, like, dread Monday, drag Mm -hmm. their feet through Thursday, and then it's finally Friday. And then that's when they can start drinking again. But it's funny because now that we're... Uh, introduced into the military as health and professional health professionals right more specifically strength and conditioning coaches but in this encompassing holistic health and fitness program is that it's (laughs) so contrary to what the people of the military know and that's not only for the army as you said like it's probably with the navy and the marines and the other branches as well um and so how do you find that you're able to kind of get get yourself out of that mentality or fix that mental approach of drowning your sorrows or of just drinking regularly to like, okay, I'm still in the military, but I need to fix this. What did that mental approach look like?
1: Uh, well, I mean, half of it was, you know, like I'm tired of feeling shitty all the time. You know, <laughs> that's, that, a good that's, start. that's definitely a big part of it. Yeah. Um, and you know, the only way to fix that is to change what you're doing. So it's like, all right, I need to get back on track and get back to doing things that are actually going to help me be productive. Yeah. It's not that I ever stopped working out at this time. I continued throughout this whole period that was also a bit of a, you know, blowing off steam for me. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know, the the big thing was was getting a new goal. That that was that was a huge driving force. I mean like after like
0: dropping out of special warfare like that one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: So, you know, I said, Hey, I joined the military for school. Let's make that the priority again. So that became my my driving force. Mm-hmm. Um it, it helps being on the ship as well since, you know, if you didn't join the Navy to be on a ship, being on a ship is not that great unless, <laughs> yeah. you know, you really enjoy it. and I can't say I enjoyed it, but it definitely helped me focus on my job more because, you know, what you do in anything is how, what you do in everything. Definitely, So yeah. Um, I'd say I definitely became a bit better of a sailor. And then... Uh, <laughs> It helped me become a good student once I got out, that's for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's uh, that's cool, man. I mean, that's commendable to hear that you, took the, you ended up taking that route, too, going to the military to, number one, help pay for your school, but I'm sure that you learned a lot more lessons outside of just your initial inclination of, okay, I'm going to go to the military, do this for four years. I'm going to get out and not think about it anymore. Because I imagine, like from a civilian standpoint who's never been in the military, like that's how I would view of like going to the military. of like, right, I'm going to do the minimal amount of time and then get out just so I can get the benefits of what I'm looking for to get out of it. But I mean, aside from talking about it as often, like you speak highly of the Navy just as much as like you talk about the things that were the drawbacks in the Navy of like drinking or right. falling victim to that mentality of just, let me just have my commander tell me what to do. Or let me just have the leads tell me what to do so I can stop thinking about it come to find that that's a lot of mentalities for some enlisted soldiers that are either just starting out or have been there for so many years that are like I'm good at just letting people tell me what to do all day which is fine I mean obviously there's different personalities right but obviously that wasn't the case for you and I think that's what's been cool to kind of start to understand and learn about you is as you continue to unravel these different stories or these experiences you had with the Navy Um, and especially I think even probably the first two months you were at the base with us, at the battalion with us, um, me and Maria speaking us and Sean, that you would tell us, talk to us about your SWIC training. Which do you mind for people listening, explaining the difference between SWIC and BUDS, the similarities and differences? Yeah, uh,
1: so SWIC is Special Warfare Combatant Craft Crewmen. Uh, basically, they operate out of small either uh, riverine or thirty-two foot or smaller boats. They're usually equipped with. Big machine guns. Right? Yeah, hell yeah. They go fast, <laughs> go hard. Right? Um whereas SEALs, uh SEALs actually stands for Sea Air Land. Uh, they navigate in all the different planes. Um, you know, both take on specific tactical missions. Uh I really won't go into any more detail than that, especially since I didn't end up becoming one. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. I don't want to talk too much about something that I'm not a professional in. But uh they work side uh. they work side-by-side. Side. Um, sometimes they do cohesive missions together. Sometimes their missions are
0: separate. Mm-hmm. Right. It just depends on what the mission is and what the objective is. Yeah, so that's why when you guys go to base training for that, that's why in BUDS and for SWIC, you guys are doing the first how many weeks together? Uh. So we do the
1: initial boot camp, which is four weeks together, uh, I mean, eight weeks together. Then we do another... Another month and a half or so of um, like Bud's prep, basically mm-hmm. getting us back in shape since all of us are out of shape coming out of boot camp. <laughs> and then uh, we go down to Coronado, we do three weeks of indoc together, and then from that point we separate we separate into our different phases. So um, almost four months together and then we split off into our own. Uh, they go to BUDS, we go to what's called BCT, basic recruitment training.
0: Okay. Yeah. And then in terms of like the physicality of the brutality, like what a lot of people see or recognize as BUDS training, where does that, uh, area come into this camp or that training? Like, did you get to that point of going through the, the brutal physicality part? I know you've talked about being drown proofed and going through some of that, um, I guess getting smoked, what the uh, army uses for that term. What would you call that uh, term in the navy? Here? Definitely. I mean, yeah, we we got smoked quite a bit. <laughs> uh, Does that start out like week one? Because you said it's for the first eight weeks, and then you guys separate. Like- yeah. Well, I
1: mean, boot camp is boot camp is boot camp. Uh, mm-hmm. The only difference for us in boot camp is that we had extra workout sessions. We were supposed to have workout sessions every day. That didn't always happen because we had to become sailors first. Yeah. So that took precedence. And then uh, the BUDS prep after that, you're you're literally just working out every day. You're either swimming, working out in the gym, going on a run, something like that. So you're literally just getting paid to work out. So you're kind of getting smoked at that point, not really, right? Yeah. Um, but as soon as we hit Coronado and start NDOC, the smoking kind of starts there. <laughs> um, but once we hit phase, which is what people typically see, you know, like... The hell uh, week or whatever. Yeah, like that's what people typically think of a buzz where people are lifting the logs and carrying the boats and stuff like Hmm. that. That's, that's actual phase. That's Mm. that's when phase starts. Um, And that's when
0: buds and Swick separate or that's when you guys are.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We, we separate at that point. Um, like instead of using logs, we use what's called Hauser lines. So they're like two or three inch thick lines that are all intertwined together to be the same thickness as a log and you know it's not bad at first and then they have you go get it wet and then oh, it shit. gets it four gets times as heavy here. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like you know that's kind of shitty and we don't carry boats on our heads because we use Zodiacs and those are over 300 pounds so a Zodiacs we, that they're like little black crafts that you know you can attach a little motor on the back and oh, just yeah, right around yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. so um, we'll carry those around but definitely not on our heads um, yeah but yeah I mean we we see each other on the beach every now and then, you know, like we'll see the Buds class going by as we're in the water getting our dicks kicked in while, you know, <laughs> yeah. getting sand all up in our, in, our, in our goods. But Yeah. Yeah. Dang, man.
0: So what's the, explain to me the significance of the shirts too. I think you were telling me about this a few months ago. Yeah.
1: Uh, whenever you're in training, um, still as a candidate, you know, you're wearing a white shirt and it's got your name stenciled on it. Uh, you have that all the way until for BUDS guys, once they get to Hell Week, um, when they pass Hell Week, they transfer over to a brown shirt, signify that they made it through mm. the Hell Week part of the phase. Mm-hmm. And then for the sweat guys, um, their Hell Week is a little bit shorter, um, it's 72 hours rather than the full five days, um, but once they make it past that, they get their brown shirts as well. They have, yeah.
0: Did you make it to that phase?
1: No, I made it to the, that's the fourth or fifth week of phase. Um, I made it to the second week of phase before I got injured the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I restarted with the next class. Yeah, I probably probably shouldn't have done that. I wasn't healed all the way. uh, (laughs) What was the
0: injury? Like what caused you to have to stop?
1: uh, We were on the Zodiacs doing um, beaching. So basically ride up to the beach. Pull the kill switch on the engine and the boat's supposed to just slide up onto the sand i nailed it my first time you're a so boat I, by yourself no I, i've got my whole boat crew they're oh, like okay. laying down on the swanson and the instructors across from me at the back of the boat while mm-hmm. i'm driving and uh so the second time i felt confident i was like you know what let's do it you know went out turned around full speed and uh, i went to pull the kill switch and the kill switch didn't pull so I pulled oh, it again. Man. At this point, it was too late. Each was there. We're still going full speed. <laughs> oh, Everyone geez. was flying off the Swanson, including my instructor. And I get up and I try to pull the motor up. And my hand just gets all sliced up. Uh, oh, yeah, it had a little avulsion uh, on my middle finger. It looked like if you took a little spoon and just scoops some meat out oh, of it, my hang gosh. by the skin. Like, that's what it was. So, I mean, the, the injury itself, like, after the fact, like wasn't terrible like my fingers got tore up um, uh-huh. but uh the healing process is fine like I have full use of it it's just I probably jumped in sooner than I should have I still couldn't even hold on to a pull-up bar at this point oh my god But I didn't want to stay not being a part of a class because you start to get a little complacent yeah it was nice not sure. getting you know your butt kicked every day yeah so um whenever I did class back up uh, I had one of those moments of like, you know, damn, do I really want to restart all of this? <laughs>
0: and you have to start back from week one?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Back to the end doc. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So and so like, that's what you did? Yeah. And then how far did you make it the second time through? Probably the second week. Really? And yeah. then you're like, fuck this or what? Well, yeah, was that it was, was uh, step?
1: like I said, man, you got to have a, a good why and why you're there. And mm. the only reason I was there to
0: one pay for school and maybe do a job that sounded cool so yeah uh, yeah. I think that ties into a lot of like my initial question that I even asked you too like in terms of maturity level is that you had to make that decision of setting your pride aside and realizing like okay is this worth me redoing completely and then having a story like David Goggins or is it more so of no I want to make sure my school is paid for I want to prioritize what it is exactly I want to get from this and then strive towards that Because, I mean, obviously, like, as you've done that, or now that you've done that, you have a pretty good job. Like, you're pretty successful on your own, even outside of working with the military. And, I mean, you've been able to adopt a lot of different, I guess, skill sets with the experience that you had, even just doing that, too. So that's, I think that's a huge step for you to take, to discern of, like, okay, I'm done with this. I don't need to keep going through just to, like, prove a point. It's like, my point is different than this. I don't need to prove this one. I need to focus on what my actual central focus is. Do you find that that actually helped you kind of center in on, like, what you want to do or what you wanted to do getting out of the military? Absolutely. Um,
1: For one, it forced me to kind of take that sort of look into seeing what is it that I want to do. Because if I had that mindset as soon as I made that decision to quit, I feel like things probably would have been a lot better. Uh, But that wasn't the initial response after i signed the papers and called it good and got re-rated it was one of those like damn what did i do like why did i you know like why did i quit especially you know if you're somebody who's typically like one of those like go-getters and you're like oh yeah i'm gonna take on any challenge doesn't matter what it is you know like and then you don't finish the challenge it's like oh well damn but i guess uh you know hindsight 2020 that yeah, it forced me to get on track with thinking about, well, what is it that I actually want to do? Because I knew I didn't want to do that mm-hmm. for 20 years, uh, even if I had made it through. So like, what is it that I'm going to do? Um, and like I was saying, you know, by the, by the end of my active duty time, I definitely was more focused on, all right, long term, what am I going to be doing? What do I need to focus on now?
0: Because mm-hmm. how old were you when you were getting out of active duty? 27. No, 26. Okay. Yeah. Dang. And then, so once you finished that, then you went to school. Yep. And got your degree in exercise science? Exercise science. Nice, dude. Yeah. Damn, and now you're here. And now I'm here. here. (laughs) Well, so that's that's kind of a good segue, but I also want to make sure that I finished the last question that I had for you on the military aspect of it because I think that this is probably one of the more significant ones. At least something that I've picked up on since working with soldiers is that the military they have like this specific hierarchy system of like a pecking order of private, specialist, sergeant, sergeant first class, first sergeant, whatever else. And the same thing on the officer side. And I know that that's that holds true with the Navy as well. And on top of this pecking order, they also have like methods or forms of communication like hua (laughs) and different words and different acronyms that mean all these different things. But coming from someone that's actually been there and experienced it, like, what do you think has that? What do you think? Why do you think it stayed the same for so many years? And should it be that way still? Is there anything that you think the military can adjust that might make the experience for soldiers better or might make it more effective?
1: I'd say probably a big reason why it has stayed the same is uh military is pretty big on tradition. Mm. Um, and a lot of traditions have changed already a lot of things that people used to do back in the day they don't do anymore uh one because it's not ethically right or because yeah yeah um or because you know times have evolved and that's not going to work anymore as far as things that do need to change i think those changes are happening Um, For example, you know, I was in the Navy whenever they decided they wanted to make the Navy more like other branches and take away the way we address each other as far as our, our rank and rate. So in the Navy, you know, whatever your job is and then whatever your rank is, that's how people address you. So I'm a gunner's mate first class, petty officer first class, so people usually address me as GM-1. It's not like in the Army where it's like, you could be a sergeant from E-5 all the way to E-7, and people mm-hmm. are still just saying sergeant. Right. Oh, and, yeah, because yeah, exactly. you have sergeant, staff sergeant. Staff exactly. Pushback. exactly. Yeah. And nobody's saying, hey, staff sergeant, or you know, yeah. hey, sergeant first class. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, they're just saying sergeant. Whereas, oh, so when we tried to make that change, um, there was a lot of pushback, uh, and people liked really? the tradition I guess push back and like,
0: I'm saying too much to you with your title.
1: People just found it one confusing and two, uh, kind of like a, I don't know, maybe a slap in the face, whatever it was. I I can tell you that a lot of people, myself included, were still signing documents and, and addressing ourselves as GM1, ET2, Mm -hmm. BM3, you know, whatever it may have (laughs) been. So, you know, um. I think it definitely depends on what it is uh that's being changed
0: uh yeah and like i mean even just in terms of the pecking order too right of like even if you're a first sergeant which is like what is that an e8 i think e8, yeah. e8 so it's like you're pretty high up in the ranks yep. but if you see a second lieutenant who's per- just enlisted but enlisted as an officer they still have to salute them So it's like there's still this line of respect that's like this first sergeant has been in the military for 20 years. This officer is like 20 years old (laughs) and has been in for one year. And like that first sergeant still has to stop, salute them, make sure the officer salutes them back, and then they can proceed on. Now obviously there's like a little bit of lackadaisical approach to that. But for the most part, at least what I see is like when you see like for us with 42nd MP, officers wear white belts. And then enlisted wear yellow or green belts. And yeah. so it's like, if you see a white belt, you gotta stop what you're doing and then salute them. So it's like, there's these weird methods of pecking orders where it's like, yes, does that help? Maybe. Like, is it a sign right. of respect? Is it, what? what is it going on there? Like, right. what do you think that is? Like, is that similar with Navy too? A-
1: absolutely, 100%. And uh, I've seen it with the Army company that I work with as well. Um, I think there is. A mutual respect with that as far as you know if you're in E7 or above you know you put your time in you know what it means to be a soldier sailor airman whatever it is sure. yeah and you know the, the traditions and customs um, so it doesn't matter if it's you know an 01 brand-new butter bar like yeah you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna salute them because like that's that's the respect that's owed but on the other side of things especially if they are a good junior officer who wants to learn their job, they're going to the E-7, E-8, the E-9 for help. Like, yeah. that mutual respect is there, and they don't see themselves as being the boss over mm-hmm. this guy. Usually it's, hey, chief, or, you know, hey, hey, first, hey, sergeant. hey first sergeant, like, yeah. can you help me with this? Or, you know, mm-hmm. what, what, what is the procedure for this? You know, They're looking to these higher enlisted uh, sailors or soldiers as, you know, guides for them
0: yeah so that's interesting because yeah i mean to a degree the pecking order does kind of teach that to the soldiers as for the longer that they stay in right the longer you stay in the more of that mutual respect or that understood respect that unspoken rule you understand more right and i Absolutely. think that that has more carryover obviously into the real world right is that when you have a boss or when you have a ceo or you have your gm whatever it is like when you have someone that's higher up than you within the company you're working for you know oh i need to address them the same way i was addressing my first sergeant right like with level of respect with like okay I, this is what i need help with i know i can do this part of what i need help with can you help me with this other piece can you put me in the right point me in the right direction i mean i even learned that when i first started with hhc headquarter headquarter company what that stands for is like the first sergeant that i initially was working with had been in his first his name was First sergeant Matos. Uh, Coolest guy ever, biggest hard ass I've ever met. Like, but the nicest guy in the world. And like, I would go to him of like, hey, I have all of these different sections. I have twelve different sections of soldiers, and I need to see all of them twice in five days. How do I do that? And he's like, you need to figure that out. And I was like, shit, man, I don't know. Like, where do I start? And so I had to like go back and think of like, okay, well, where do I? What do I actually need help from him? Like, he's not here to delegate these sections for me. Right. I need to figure that out. It's almost like he's giving me like, no, no, no. Like you have part of your task done, but finish your task before you come present it to me to ask me to help you find the missing piece. Right. right? And so I almost, I had to learn to figure that out. Right. Like first I was also calling him sir and I kept messing that up and he's like, mm, stop yeah. calling me sir. I'm first sergeant, yeah. <laughs> which for those of you listening, if you ever see a sergeant or anyone that's enlisted, do not call them sir or man. No, they work for a living. They work for a living. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Um, but it's true because that's, I think that that holds a lot of weight in a lot of different areas that if you understand why the first sergeant is doing that, he's not trying to be a dick to me. He's not, tr- he's not being lazy. He's like, no, finish your part of the job. And then I will give my piece that I can help you with. Right. It's like you said, if you have a plan, present them with the entire plan of your full capacity of what you know that you want to see or have happened, and then present it to them. Hey, I need to get S1 through eight, any of these sections to see me on these days at this time can you make that happen? Yes, I can do that. Mm -hmm. Right. Because he's the one that enforces from the leaders of the section, since he's the top of like, okay, you guys need to see coach Nate on these days. The other sections are going to see coach Nate on the other days or whatever else it is. And so that's, it's almost like you, you've learned how to communicate with someone now. now, now that you've learned that when they see that you're learning it, when the first artist sees that I'm learning how to communicate with them, that respect builds. Right? and So it's not always just like, hey, I cleaned the desk. Can you like respect me now more? Yeah, like, right. hey, I've been here for six months. Can you respect me more now? It's a very interesting manner of like there is this pecking order, but the higher-ups will start to respect you if they start to see that you're adopting their way of work or their method of work. And that's what I realized is like I've, I've worked in the commercial setting my whole fitness career. Right. right? So I've just been working with people that want to pay to see me, whereas now it's the flip side. These soldiers aren't paying to see me but I still need to get them to have buy-in, to have respect and to have like a desire to interact with me and engage with me. Absolutely. So how have you found like, does that, has that helped you at all with your experience in the Navy and now transitioning over to USACA? Like, I mean the company that you've adopted, like they've attached to you so quickly. Right. Um, I, I think
1: a bit of that of why they've attached is because possibly because of my military background Uh, So they feel like they can relate. Uh, But I definitely think having that background does help because, you know, working as a trainer or CFL in the Navy, you know, you work with a lot of very unmotivated people. What's a CFL? Command fitness leader. Oh, okay. Okay, Right, right, right. Uh, Or assistant command fitness leader. But, um, you know, you work with a lot of very uninspired people. And you have <laughs> to get these people, yeah, regularly. And you have to get these people to do something. Um, so, I don't know. I'd say uh, it's it's kind of like when you get to know somebody and you learn like what gets to them. And I, <laughs> you figure out their quirks. Yeah, you figure out their quirks, or you know, <laughs> figure out what gets under their skin. It's kind of similar in the military. And I've noticed that you know it's not too different in the army. That a lot of the same stuff that you know can get sailors all fired up, can get soldiers all fired up. As really? Well. Yeah. Do you mind giving me an example? Oh, challenge. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. When yeah, you when you give a young enlisted soldier or sailor something to prove, and then you put them up against you know, the higher-ranking enlisted or officer that's there, and now there's a little competition there. oh yeah, yeah yeah exactly so they've got to see you know all right who's going to win this day right uh, um so maybe you know i don't want to say trying to egg that dynamic on but uh to a degree yeah to a degree i mean that is kind of what i'm doing you know um it's it's what i had to do mm. in the navy to get people to put in some
0: effort yeah right um, and so you adopted that early with the soldiers that you work with now at JBLM.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So it's you know it'll either be a blend of that or a blend of like, uh, hey, do you think you guys are even up to this? Do I need to change this workout for you guys? Mm-hmm. You know, you present some some sort of challenge in front of them, and yeah, yeah all right, yeah. They love it, man. They no, eat they, that they, stuff. they up. they do. They eat it up. You know, they do it all the time by themselves. Like when they're just in the <laughs> barracks room yeah. together, you know. It's
0: funny because that's why they always want to play sports, man. Exactly. It is. <laughs> you know, every Friday. Coach, it's, it's Friday. Can we play sports? Yeah. Dude, no. <laughs> no, I don't want to play sports today. But, yeah. but then when you finally let them play sports, like you said, that you get a 1,000% engaged. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Everyone's just throwing haymakers. They're throwing the ball across the field. They're blocking. They're getting physical. Like, they're actually sweating. Mm-hmm. They're interacting and communicating with each other. It's really cool to see. Like, it's... Uh, I mean, at first, I was like, "Where is this effort during the week? I know, yeah, <laughs> like, during PT, where is this effort?" But then it's like you said, there, like you have to kind of play the game that they want to play, and then and then starts to slowly wean in, like, "Hey, we we played sports, but now we got to do PT." Like, I mean, that's a huge. I've talked about this a few times too in the different episodes of the podcast, but of like even with clients when we're serving clients or when we're coaching, it's like you want to give them. A little bit of what they want and mostly what they need right right you want to give them what they want because they're paying and they and they want to have a good experience but you also want to give them what they need so that way they can have the success that you know that you can give them absolutely i mean it's pretty similar in this sector mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think it's, for me it's just been that huge barrier of the communication the style of communication like the approach to things knowing that i'm a civilian with no military experience now i gotta talk to sergeants that have been in the military for 20 years like what does this kid know yeah but yeah that's uh that's interesting so i I mean i kind of want to pivot now from from that uh point of coaching with soldiers and just kind of coaching in general Of like for me i got more so into coaching from being told that i wasn't strong enough from a coach when i was in high school for playing baseball And I initially was like, you know, I'm going to prove him wrong. I'm going to get stronger and bigger and faster and then show him that I'm the athlete that I know I am, whatever else, right? Then by the time I'm 19, I have ditched that jaded approach of like, I'm going to prove you wrong. And I started realizing like, oh, this actually feels good. I I want to continue to do this. I want to educate myself more on why I feel better, why I'm able to socially engage more, why I feel this heightened sense of confidence, even though I'm not the biggest person in the world, I just feel more comfortable in my skin. And I think for me that was definitely what attracted me the most to coaching because once I started feeling that I was like, "Oh, this is this is sick." Right. I got to show other people like how uh, yeah, cool exactly. how cool it is to like live this style of life. And not obviously to like my degree or extent, but it's like, "Man, I want to tell you how cool this can be, like how great of a, an experience it can be to adopt a healthy lifestyle." So, I mean, for me that was definitely what got me into to coaching. What did you say? What would you say that was for you? Like how did you find training?
1: I'd say my mom had a big part uh, of it. She started training me pretty early on. Um, mm-hmm. Probably back, you know, 13, 14 years old. she took take me to the gym with her here and there. You can't say that's when I got consistent. I got consistent when I started going to high school. And actually, when people started asking to train with me, that's when oh, yeah. that's when I really became consistent with it. Because then, you know, I was expected to be at the gym. And eventually yeah, yeah. it was different people. And, uh... My school was, you know, we were a Dodd school overseas, um, so it's the equivalent of going to a small town school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of our coaches were active duty guys that didn't have time outside of practice to work with us. So, literally, the football coach, you know, when when they were asked, "Can you work with us in the gym?" I'm like, "Oh, go get with Barclay."
0: Oh yeah yeah, yeah. so <laughs>
1: um, I kind of early on became the. Uh, the youth trainer, <laughs> you know, <laughs> even uh, in high school, huh? Uh, even in high school, and it wasn't so much that I was training people; I was just letting people work out with me. Yeah. Um, and then they started, you know, the ones that stuck with me for a while. They started adopt their own training styles. That you know, they'd work out on their own and do what they liked, um, which was good because it got them going. But my mom definitely had a big part of that because very early on she stressed form, technique, control, all mm-hmm. of that stuff. And I did start to enjoy it more once I got into it, and, you know, you start getting into the bodybuilding magazines and looking to see, you know, what, yeah. what's the new best technique or, you know, how do I work this or how do I build this here? Um, from there, it's funny cause I didn't have any intention early on of being a part of this field. Really? Uh, literally, my initial degree was um, in engineering, oh. so I was going to be a mechanical engineer, and then I switched over because, like, I've been doing this for almost a decade now. Well, at this point, over a decade, mm-hmm. and I have a passion for it. Yeah. Why am I not doing this? Yeah. But definitely, I'd say my mom was definitely the catalyst that got me going, and then what really. Started the fire was how many people started coming to me, not just in high school but after in college uh, and then in the military as well yeah. I mean in the military while we were on deployment, you know I had six people working out with me pretty regularly, one whom uh, he, was, he was one of my groomsmen for my wedding uh, yeah. to this day, his wife still says, "Hey, you need to get him working with you again so he can get those abs back <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So um,
0: dang, that's funny.
1: Yeah, definitely. but similar to you, I mean, just that feeling of satisfaction of spreading the wealth and yeah helping people see like, what they're capable of, just the overall gratification that you get from training, I mean, that itself, like you know right away like okay, this is something that I definitely enjoy doing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you mean Olivia, we've been talking about this before we started recording, like at dinner, if, even if we have a long day. Of people just bitching and complaining like, to us about how hard yeah. their life or like how bad their life is going. But by the end of the session, I'm like, man, I feel good. Like, yeah. I'm glad that I came here. Like, just that, not even saying like, oh, I'm glad you coached me. Like, I don't even need that at this point. It's just like, if I know that they feel better leaving, that is enough fulfillment for me. To, like, okay, good. I know I did my job. Right. And like, just that immediate gratification that you get of like, oh, I really did impact someone's day. And because a lot of times two people will even just su- kind of subtly say that, not even trying to give you a compliment. And so it's almost like I'm just picking a compliment out of it and turning right. it, like picking a sentence they say, turning it into a compliment. Like, yeah, I'll take that. I'll put that one in. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, but it's cool because it's also like she was saying, too, is that when you have these relationships over years uh, of time, of that like you start to learn more about these people's lives and you learn more about like, just social interactions in general, too. You learn more about social cues. You learn more about when people are being vulnerable to you. So you know to like take to what they're saying more seriously or be more gentle with how you respond and react to things, especially if they're talking about stuff amongst their family. Um, so that's what's cool, too. I think is that you learn a lot of different aspects of just social interaction with people in general mm. from doing this for so long, from spending an entire hour with one other person usually mm-hmm. while they're suffering, breathing heavy, and wanting to cuss you out in their head. Right. You know, but it's, uh, it's fun because we do it to ourselves. And so, like, That's for me, right. like, when I see my clients, like, suffering and breathing heavy, a lot of times I'll just smile or, like, I'll make a joke at them, like, lightheartedly, and I'm like, why are you laughing? It's like, because I've been in your situation and, I, I, and I, know know, I know how much it sucks, but I know how much it's gonna, you're gonna, how much better you're gonna feel once it's done and you know that you, have like, given an effort. And, yeah, it's just really gratifying. But I kind of wanted to touch more on like, what you were saying, how your mom being a big catalyst of training with you because she's also a trainer herself, right, and has competed as well. Yes. So when you decide to start pursuing men's physique or bodybuilding, like, was she a big influence on you in that as well, just in terms of using her as a reference point, or were you more like, no, you're my mom, I want you to stay my mom, not so, my coach?
1: So actually getting into competing was sparked by my brother. In high oh, school, yeah. yeah, in high school, he was not a very competitive kid as far as sports go. He, I'd say, he wasn't very athletic. And his senior years, when he decided he wanted to get into sports, well, at that point, you know, especially stateside, if you're in a sport, you're established. And mm, you're yeah. trying to walk on as a senior. It's t- difficult to yeah, join any luck. sport exactly. Yeah. And he wanted to get into wrestling as he, a senior. Yeah, exactly. Ooh. It's like yeah, you're gonna be the Warm up guy for other people, <laughs> yeah. Know. He'll be the bait, he'll the, be the, the bait. whole season. But, um, <laughs> but his school, uh, amazingly had a bodybuilding club.
0: What, yeah, what state was this in?
1: Florida. Oh. It was, um, I think it was Mr. Panther or whatever their <laughs> mascot was. This was in high school. In high school, they were
0: teaching kids how to bodybuild,
1: absolutely. There was a bodybuilding, I know, right? There's a bodybuilding class that they had, and so. He competed in his class against three other guys, and there were three guys in the heavyweight class. So he was in the lighterweight class, mm-hmm. and I remember going to watch him, and it was so awesome watching him compete. Compete, absolutely. Yeah. Especially since this was a whole new brother. Like I'm used to a skinny brother that used to play the drums and skateboard. Yeah, you know? um, <laughs> and now he's you know battling me in size. It's like wow, this is crazy. This so is a younger brother my younger brother. Yeah. yeah. So I got into competing after that. I did a show down in Miami. Was not ready for it. I tried to I tried to prep myself and it was <laughs> yeah. not good. Um nice. Didn't do well. Competed again in Jacksonville at the Dexter Jackson Classic nice. and actually got a coach for this one who was in Georgia where I was and she trained me. I came in looking much better than the first show. Yeah. And then I did one more after that um bodybuilding, but the most recent one that I did for men's physique, uh, my mom did coach me, oh yeah, absolutely because at this point, by the time I had done this most recent show for men's physique, my mom had already been she got into competing after both of us started doing shows. Oh, okay. So I'd say after my brother and I did the next Well, <clears throat> oh, So she hadn't even been competing. She hadn't even been competing. At Your brother point.
0: sparked it for both you guys. Absolutely. My wow. brother sparked the bodybuilding.
1: So Interesting. my mom had always body built in the gym, yeah. but not. she was never, never like she was never big like a bodybuilder. Mm. Whereas now she's trying to earn her pro card in women's physique. Wow. Uh, so. Um, at how old? If you know at 50.
0: 51 yeah, yeah that's crazy man yeah. and you showed me pictures of her i was like damn yeah yeah oh yeah you haven't met her yet no yeah yeah brady
1: and john met her but yeah she's wow, a, man. yeah she's a beast um but yeah uh, at this point she definitely had more experience in competing than me she had done more shows than me at this point and she already had people on the team our team stay fit who yeah who were competitors she just got um She just had a couple of people compete at nationals. Um, she herself competed at nationals last year, was one place away from earning her pro card. Wow. And uh yeah, almost had one of her guys get pro card he took overall and in his age and all that, but yeah, I guess uh I guess for the older masters categories, like you have to be the only guy Oh, out of really? All the classes to win turned pro card. Dang kind of yes, modern, but but yeah. So um, it's definitely nothing like oh no, she's my mom and I'm not gonna let her train me like <laughs> yeah. I know how good she is. So I was like, hey mom, help me out.
0: Yeah, definitely. definitely. Hey, can I turn this light? Up? Yeah, so
1: just recently, just recently, um, nationals that happened in Pittsburgh, uh, maybe a month ago. Uh, she flew out there and for two competitors, sorry, three competitors that she had, one of which took first in his category in bodybuilding in uh, master's class over 50, and he went up against every weight class. So, you know, and he's one of the smaller guys comparative to the guys who are coming in at 220, you know, or 215.
0: because also for, sorry sorry to cut you off, but like for people that don't know too, it's like, a lot of, at least for me, competing in men's physique is it's based off of height in yeah. yeah, the classes. So, yeah, it's like if you're a shorter but stockier guy, but you have someone like me that's 6'2", has like a wide shoulder frame and like a narrow waist, and I have just as much muscle. as like the right. guy, that guy doesn't really have a chance, right? It's like when Absolutely. you have a taller person, especially for physique, right? A lot of it is just based off of genetics. It's like you can look great. But if you're next to someone that's taller, has a longer torso, which makes they that means they can make their torso smaller mm-hmm. or appear smaller, then it's like now you're kind of shit out of luck, almost. Yeah, absolutely. Which is tough. That's kind of the the vicious reality of like the the bodybuilding world, right? Oh when yeah. you Compete is that. It's a very competitive sport, but you know. It is. I it mean, can, no, sorry. It's a cool sport. I was gonna say it's a very and subjective sport Definitely, too. Like, it's just based off of what the judges think to be a perfect physique. Absolutely. So. But yeah that's that's wild man do you find that like a lot with your bodybuilding experience you're able to connect some of what you learn in terms of your method or your approach to training and how you coach other people with training like so for example like for me i was learning like the um, mind muscle connection of like what muscles you want to be feeling and working when you're doing a certain movement and then i was able to kind of Better correlate that with when I'm teaching someone how to do a pull-up or how to do a lat pull-down, where on their back they should be feeling it, how they want to initiate the movement. Have there Were there any aspects of your approach to bodybuilding that transferred over to your coaching style? Oh, 100%. I think bodybuilding... I don't think there's anybody who
1: has better control over the stimulation of their muscles than bodybuilders yeah. just because I mean literally Great point. half the time you're practicing posing, which is learning how to contract certain muscles and when you like you said, whenever you are doing a certain exercise, you're looking to feel where it's supposed to where it's supposed to uh, burn, you know? Yeah, yeah. Where am I feeling this because if I'm not feeling where I want, then I'm not working the right muscles, right? Or yeah. at least that's the kind of connection that you make. Um, so, definitely, I'd say it helped a lot as far as personal training and definitely coaching. Um, mm-hmm. Just because a lot of my best cues came from bodybuilding. As far as, you know, whenever somebody's having difficulties feeling something somewhere, you, you tell them, hey, adjust this, or, you know, head in line with the spine, or you know, chest mm-hmm. up, what, whatever cue you may be using. Um, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, I've got it. I'm feeling it now. So that's one of the biggest things, but I mean, overall, I'd say bodybuilding definitely helps you with, I'd say learning how to correctly exercise just because (laughs) there's a lot of, you know, workout methodologies, um, not throwing out there like CrossFit or Orange Theory or anything like that. But Mm -hmm. You know, when you're not pressed for time to try and finish an exercise, you can take the time to figure out how do I move correctly or where am I supposed to feel this. Or like with
0: intention too, right? Exactly. Like I'm I'm trying to target my lower lat when I'm pulling at this angle from this position instead of doing a normal bent over row or whatever else it is. And yeah, yeah, to your point that there is... A lot more control there's a lot more variables that you can control when you're like hey I want you to manipulate your position just slightly because I want you to feel it more here rather than there or whatever else it is um but yeah so the I mean for me the biggest part of coaching and also like training in general that I enjoy the most is challenging my mental talk and my approach of how I'm experiencing the stress while it's happening right doing a Tabata on an assault bike Mm -hmm doing like a one rep max squat or like my approach to the deadlift bar when I'm about to try like a heavy set of two or a heavy triple of like what am I telling myself that I know will help me overcome the stress that I feel of like I don't want to miss this like I don't want to lose this uh, what would you say is like your your favorite aspect or, or part of coaching or training in general favorite parts or aspect of training
1: honestly it's 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 got to be That moment, kind of what you're talking about right now, that moment where you take on a client and say at the very beginning when you're doing your assessment with them, they have a lot of doubts about themselves. You can kind of just tell, especially after you do your first workout with them, you you kind of get a feel for where they're at. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's a few weeks or months later and all of a sudden they're picking up a weight they've never picked up before or they've done something that they've never been able to do before. Just kinda of, you can see it in their eyes, just that feeling of oh wow. I like, did. I did that. <laughs> yeah. Like that right there nothing gets you more hype as a trainer or a coach than, than that definitely. feeling right there of like, that's right, you did that. Yeah. It's like, Yeah, you put the work in for that. dude, definitely I just gave you the right path
0: to take. Mm. Yeah, and it gives me chills thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, because especially when you tell someone like that was 250 pounds, like what? what? And I was like, yeah, you told me your max was 200 when you met me three months ago or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Like, that's just one example. But yeah, or anything of like the assault bike too. I'll even like when I have clients warm up, I'm like, all right, just give me 15 calories. And then like at the end of the workout, I'm like, all right, I want you to give me a 10 calorie sprint. And then we'll measure like how long it takes them to do 10 calories. And it's like, dude, you were doing this for like it took you a minute to do 10 calories last month. Right. Now you're doing it in 45 seconds. Yeah. And so even like outside of the strength aspects, like the conditioning aspect too, right? Because conditioning has oh, a definitely. lot of carryover into recovery and your ability to exert more energy more efficiently. And so like when you can show them those things quantitatively and then during the workout, qualitative movement, like quality over quantity that's when those two variables start to like intertwine with helping your client find success in a safe way consistently and continue to build on that same progress. Um, I mean, even just like starting with new clients for me, it's just a matter of telling them like, Hey, we're going to go slow. The first few weeks, we're going to establish a foundation, just like you're building a house. You're going to level the foundation. You're going to make solid concrete out of the foundation. Then you're going to build the house. Right. Your house is the body. We'll start working on different parts of the house later on after we have the foundation established. You're going to learn how to squat correctly. You're going to learn how to hinge at the hips correctly. Mm -hmm. You're going to press safely, pull correctly. Right. So once we can get you to do those things, then we're going to add barbells, then we're going to add tempo, add more weight, et cetera, et cetera. But just kind of laying out the map or the, the roadmap for them. of Like, Hey, I know you want to go this direction. I know you want to go this speed. You want to go all gas, but we're going to have to pump the brakes a little bit. Or we're going to have to ease on the accelerator as we get going. Um, and then we'll start to make the workout suck more because they're always going to suck more. They're never going to get easier, but it's going to be more fun. It's going to be more enjoyable. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so this is, I mean, I definitely am glad that I was able to hold off and like waiting for this one for the end. But like, we can take as so much time as we want with this. But I, so I've been rereading uh, the book, Settle Art, not giving a fuck, yeah. by Mark Manson. Mm-hmm. You ever read that? Yeah. Great book. Um, and so I mean, he goes in to talk about like kind of the main overarching, I think, approach, or the overarching subject for this book, at least what I've brought in from it, having already read it and now reading it a second time, is that life is always going to throw you shit. And it's yeah. like everything's always going to be challenging and you're always going to be frustrated to some level or with some part of what you're trying to do but it's like learning to understand what you want to tolerate in order to get to what you want to get so like in the book like he put um, sorry I'll just read it. I'll just write it read it right off of how I wrote it because I wrote it a lot better than how I'm articulating words um, how does this quote relate to your experience in the Navy and also your years of experience as a coach and trainer the quote is, what determines your success isn't what do you want to enjoy? The relevant question is what pain do you want to sustain? So how does that like relate to your experience in the Navy dropping out of SWIG or yes, yeah, Swig, and then getting out now you're coaching. How does that, that quote gen- resonate with you?
1: Well, I'd say now, uh, I have a little bit of, Enjoying both sides of that quote because I do enjoy what I'm doing right now (laughs) Uh, You know every every I can't say there's an aspect of my life right now that I'm not really enjoying but I'd say definitely that What you're willing to tolerate definitely is the big piece of it, and I It's funny because before I got this position um, I had actually been offered a job from two other places uh, I've been offered uh-huh. a job from ATI Physical Therapy. Oh yeah. And um, James Hardy Fiber Cement. So it's a fiber cement manufacturing company. My buddy works there. Yeah. Uh, they pay well and they've got great insurance. Hell yeah. So you know it's all that matters. exactly. You know <laughs> it's you know especially for you know somebody who was getting ready to get married um, and wanting to find something stable mm-hmm. right, to support you know another person this was a great route to go. And ATI was an okay route because it was keeping me in the same ball field of what I was going to school for, right? Not the physical therapy is what I wanted to get into, but at least I was staying in the health and wellness field.
0: Was that like as a PTA or a tech? Or what was the position?
1: Yeah, it was an uh, assistant. Okay. Yeah, so, um, you know, cleaning the gym and checking people in. You know, you know, yeah. I went <laughs> Teaching
0: to, buddy how to get out of a chair exactly. of 10 uh, it,
1: Yeah, you know, so can't say I was super excited about either one um, and I literally had to come terms come to terms with this is you know like okay I'm gonna get this out of these jobs out of this uh, job I'm gonna get this and out of this I'm gonna get this mm. both positive things but am I willing to tolerate one a job that has nothing to do with the field that I've been going to school for or been practicing for over a decade and the other one being something that's in the ballpark, but something I know I'm probably not going to enjoy. Yeah. Uh, and I just knew that, well, I think I'd rather tolerate letting, uh, Olivia wear the pants. <laughs> <laughs> if it meant that I could take a little extra time and find something that, you know, was more up the alley of what I was looking for. And yeah. lo and behold, literally the the next week, um, I saw the post that was put up an hour after it was put up and, no kidding. Applied to the job. Uh, got the call from John nice. shortly after. And uh, then started with you the next month.
0: Yeah. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah. That's really cool, man. I mean, I'm glad that you you joined the team, number one. But like I'm also glad that like we have someone that's as enthusiastic about their work as you are. Because I think that there's, there's a bad connotation with the word enthusiastic, especially when it's connected with coaching, right? When you hear the word an enthusiastic coach... To me, I think of like an orange theory fitness coach, which again, yeah, not a bashing orange theory fitness, but you think of like your typical group fitness coach that loves to play like loud EDM music, mm-hmm. and just like is a raw raw like, and but that's not you to any level, <laughs> but you're just as enthusiastic about coaching, right? It's right. like any yeah. any subject or question that. I'll throw at you even when we're in the office talking after PT is that we'll go on these rants. And that's why I'm glad that we were able to finally sit down and like record one of these rants because yeah. it's something that we're both very interested in. We're passionate about it and we are enthusiastic about it, but not to like an overarching level of like let me convince you that I'm enthusiastic about this it's right. just that no I'll, I'll talk about this until you tell me to stop talking about it absolutely like yeah. I love to nerd out on these conversations you and Olivia were nerding out on it because you're fortunate enough to have a wife a significant other that loves what you do just absolutely. as much as you Super do grateful for that. which is fucking awesome man like that's really cool and I'm happy for you guys so I think that's just been yeah a huge point of driving home like yeah what determines your success isn't what you enjoy. is what relevant question. The relevant question is what pain you want to endure. Is like, the pain can sometimes be like listening to clients complain all day, or like having to get up at four in the morning. Yeah, absolutely. Every single day, I'm, I'm and knowing to do all that. Yeah, yeah, and knowing that like Monday through Thursday, I'm not gonna stay up past nine. Like, so if you want to hang out at eight, that's not happening <laughs> unless it's Friday, right? And so it's like we learn to like tolerate these things. That some people are like, oh, are you just like, you're just gonna do this for a little bit? And you're like, it's gets it's just for a certain amount of time and it's like, no, I really want to see how far I can like make this into a career and like establish myself and make something out of it. Cause I mean, like you said, there's nothing else that makes me as excited as coaching, as talking about this as recording a podcast with someone else that I know is just as enthusiastic or excited about this.
1: Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of going back to one of your earlier questions, one of the things that got me into it is, you know, I was one of those kids that, Maybe just from the shows I watch or whatever it may be, movies, and I always wanted that coach or you know like <laughs> yeah, trainer dude, or totally. teacher, you know, so just yeah. that one person that was going to be that kind of role model for you that was going to help you, you know, get mm-hmm. to the place that you wanted to get to, and I never really quite had anyone like that. Um, I think I kind of just adopted to become that person. Totally. Yeah. Uh, so now I'm a coach.
0: No love that it. guy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, now we're
1: that guy. Help somebody else. Dude. Who? Ooh, yeah. Who you <laughs> for the new guys? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: well dude, thanks for coming on man. I'm glad that we could do this. I yeah, think that it, there's no better way to kind of cap that off other than that comment there, dude. So appreciate you having me having me come on here. I'm sure even when I'm back in Arizona, we can FaceTime and do this again. Yeah, I uh, hope we continue these. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, even we'll get Olivia yeah. I say we'll get Olivia too. Next yeah, there we go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she'll be happy
1: to jump on there. Hell yeah, man!
0: Cheers. All right. See you guys next time.